Good morning. Hey, I'm Donnie Kaufman, if you don't know who I am, and um, I'm the co-pastor here. Cliff Marshall is our pastor, and he is away today for a much-needed and a much-deserved time off to where he doesn't have to deliver the message. Not that he dreads delivering the message, but I think I probably shared with you before, I have pastored, been the pastor of a few churches, and um, the tremendous pressure every week of knowing that Sunday is coming and you got to have something together and you want it to be something good that draws people close to God and inspires people. And yes, that's just that's part of the territory and that's that's what comes with it. But that is, a, you have your stresses and your things and your jobs and as a pastor, that's one of the things that's just a constant reminder. It doesn't matter. Sunday's coming. Unless the world comes to an end, it doesn't matter what happens during the week, Sunday's still coming. And so it's it's nice to be able to get a break from that, I know, and for him to him and his family to be able to relax and kick back. So they'll be back with us next week. Well, hey, this morning we are uh, we are starting uh, beginning a sermon series called Once Upon a Marriage, and uh, today we are going to look at the very first marriage in the Bible with Adam and Eve. And the next three weeks through this month, we also have three other couples that we've chosen in the Bible that we're going to be looking at. As we talk to you this whole month about marriage and, and how that looks from a biblical perspective and what God intended and hopefully some helps and strengths and things that you can apply in your own marriage if you're married. And hopefully there will be a lot of good things that you can look at in your own life if you are considering marrying someone at some point in your life. It'll be good things to have in your tool bag of how to make a good choice and what to look for and things to avoid and based on what the Bible says and not necessarily on what all your friends and what everybody else has to offer you, although sometimes those two coincide with each other. But that's what we're going to be doing this week, and we're going to be looking at, uh, again, at Adam and Eve in Genesis. I want to encourage you to do this. Um, I want to encourage you to be here every single Sunday this month, every single Sunday, and I also want to encourage you to think of people that you know, family members, friends, neighbors, that might would, uh, might would want to hear some things that, that, uh, that we're going to be saying this week. Now, don't go over to your neighbor and say, hey, the, the, you know, the preacher said this morning to invite all of the people whose marriages that I thought were messed up. And I thought maybe, you know, you might get some help uh, this week if you'd come. You know, don't do that. But whether, whether your marriage is... Um, is really, really good, or maybe you're having some trouble and some issues. Hopefully there'll be some things that may not fix everything, but will at least get you started in the right direction if you're having some trouble. And if your things are going well, it'll be a pat on the back and an encouragement as you continue to live a strong uh, married, married life. So I want to invite some people to come, and you make a commitment to be here. This is something that I was thinking about this morning, again, kind of unconnected from the sermon. But this is a thought that I had in my mind this, this morning when I was thinking about reminding you to be here every week. Uh, some people, you know, the average person that may come here, you may miss one Sunday a month on any given Sunday. You know, we have people who may not make it every single week, every, every month. Uh, so here's what I thought. If, if there are 52 Sundays in a year and you miss one Sunday a month, that, if my math is right, and I'm, that's not my strong point, but that's 40 Sundays out of a year. If we would just say on average, except for when I'm preaching, the sermon lasts about an hour. <laughs> it's a lot longer, you know, when I preach. It just goes longer because I end up telling you stuff that I had no idea of talking about in my sermon. And or, Okay, I'll keep going. 
That's 40, that's 40 hours a year. If that, if when you come here, assuming you're in that, even if you come all 52 Sundays, that's 40 hours a year with the example that I gave, that you are getting biblical teaching, worship, and that kind of thing. If you're not doing anything else outside of when you come to choose to sit down in these seats at this place, that's 40 hours a year. Some people watch more TV than that in a week. Some people spend more time a month on their Facebook page than that. Some people tweet more tweets than that in a week or a month's time. So I just want to encourage you when I was thinking, try to be here every Sunday. There's nothing magic about you showing up. It doesn't mean you get an extra crown in your uh, star and your crown with God because you happen to show up to, some, to a gathering. But it is important because this is hopefully where you're getting encouragement, you're, you're able to worship, you're around other believers, you have opportunities to serve, and you're learning about the Bible. And then couple that with doing other things on your own so that it becomes an important part of your life. Okay, that's not the sermon. Here's the sermon. Turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter, chapter uh, 2. And... Um, Again, we're going we're gonna to look at this, a few verses that we're going to focus in on here. And just look out, you know, if, if I were going to say, okay, what's the perfect marriage? What do I need to look at? How do I know if it's going to be good things to put it or to involve in being married? It just makes sense we would start with the first marriage in the Bible. The very first marriage ever recorded in history, as far as we know, it was God with Adam and Eve. And that's in Genesis chapter 2. So read with me verses 18 through 25 of Genesis chapter 2. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he could name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, what I want us to concentrate on here is look at those verses, and we're going to really hone in on uh, a few of those verses specifically. But here, here's what I want you to think about this morning. This idea that marriage was created by God for our good. Okay, just kind of maybe jot that down. On the back of that worship guide, you've got a place for notes and you've got a pen. You may uh, want to jot some notes down. Marriage was created by God for our good. It's important to start off with this. It didn't happen some other way. It wasn't man's idea. It wasn't anything that we've created on our own. It was designed from the get-go, at the beginning, it was God's idea. And He created this idea of marriage for our good. So, look back at verse 
18, as we look at that, that it was created by God. Marriage was created by God. Verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. What's the next word? I, meaning who? God, right? I will make a helper suitable for him. Look in verse 22 again. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Who did that? Who took the rib? Who created the woman? Right, kids, you got it. That's right. That's awesome. See? Hey, if the kids can get a hold of this, you know, just tune in, everybody. Great example. Y'all keep screaming, okay? Appropriately. Okay. Um, Look at verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become what? One flesh. This is God's idea that he created. He says, hey, I see things here are not right the way that I want them to be. I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to create a woman. And not only did he just say it, but later in a couple of verses we see he actually did it. He did create it. Have you ever said, have you ever found a problem or an issue and you said, hey, I don't like that, I'm going to do something about that? And then later on, a couple of months later, you see that same thing again and you say, hey, I don't like that, I'm going to do something about that. <laughs> God didn't forget about it. He didn't just flippantly say, hey, no, this is not a good thing, you know, hopefully it will work out and something will happen. He said, hey, there's something that's not right, I don't like it, it could be different. I'm going to change it. I'm going to do something about it. And then later, he actually did something about it. It was God's initiative, his idea to create this person so that they could be in this relationship together. So God created this idea of marriage. And the second thing is, he created it for our good, okay? Not so that we could be punished. Not so that things would be horrible. Not so that it would be a burden. Not so that there would be divorce court and lawsuits and problems and issues. God said from the beginning, as he looked and saw that Adam was alone, and he said, hey, I want this to be good, and the way that that can happen is for me to create somebody for him. It was God's idea, and he wanted it for our good. He had us in mind, knowing that it was a good thing. If you're married, and you know that it's a good thing, raise your hand and say, well... Where's Mark Johnson? Is he here today? There you are, Mark. I thought about you just now when I, when I said that. Okay, look back in verse 18 of chapter 2. All right? It says, The Lord God said, It is, what's the next word? It is not good for man to be alone. Now, you may know this, but just in case you don't, if you'll look back at some time, you may jot this down in your notes, look back at chapter 1, just read all of chapter 1 as God was busy creating this, this world and the things of this world. This is the first time at, to this point that anything God had been a part of that he classified it as not being good. Everything else was good. If you look back, uh, you don't have to turn there, but I'll just spout these off and you can just read all of chapter 1 if you want to see them for yourself. Um, in chapter 1, verse 4, created the light. He said, this is good. In verse 10, created the land. He said, this is good. In verse 12, the vegetation. And he said afterwards, this is good. In verse 18, the stars, the moon, and all that kind of stuff. And it was good. In verse 21, he created the creatures of the sea. And he said afterwards, this is good. 
in verse 25. He created all of the wild animals. And after he created that, he said, this is good. If you'll look around, and I won't tell you where it is, but read further than where we're going to cover today. And God says, this is very good after the two of them were together. So, but here he says in verse 18, it's not good, not that, not like, oh man, I didn't mean for Adam to look like that. Well, I made a mistake, you know, too much dirt here, should have moved, shifted some around here. It wasn't that, it wasn't like, oops, (laughs) it meant, he said, it's not good for him to be alone. He wanted a companion for Adam. It's not good for him to be alone. All this stuff, hey, this is not good. This is this is not going to work out the best that it possibly can. I need to do something about this. So he said, this is not good for him to be alone. And then he decides to create. So if, if God created marriage for our good, then here's the way my, my mind works. Then I look at that and say, okay, what were God's standards? What was his standards for this marriage? If he knew this is the beginning, nobody else, it's just Adam. Only other thing is trees and land and all that stuff and animals. There are no other human beings up to this point. And if God is thinking, which he probably never thinks like me, but if God was thinking like me and God said, okay, here's the chance from the beginning to get this thing right, what needs to be a part of this relationship so that it will be good? It's not good that he's alone. I want him to have a companion, but when he has a companion, I want it to be good. I don't want him to have a companion and then have to say later, and God created Eve for Adam, and it still was not good. Take two, right? So if God is thinking, here's the opportunity, from the very beginning, the very beginning of creation, if I could get this thing right, what standards need to be in place to make sure this is going to happen? You know, was God thinking, you know what, um... I wonder what the ceremony needs to be like. How many bridesmaids should Eve have? Should there be a unity candle or should we use sand? How many invitations do we need to print? What type of material does it need to be on? Is there laces? Should it be in an envelope? Should it be professional looking or do we want to go casual? Should the wedding, should we invite all guests or just our close family? What kind of vows do we want to use? Do we want to make our own? Do we want to actually maybe use some scripture in a wedding or should we just use something else should we use a secular song or should we use churchy type songs what kind of music should be there should it be on a cd should it be a live band oh god you know i can just see god's having a problem worrying about all this stuff right who is the best man going to be oh man i didn't think about that now i gotta create somebody else to be the best man right god didn't do all that did he you know what what are the things that are going to be placed oh gosh and then there's the wedding oh now what about the rehearsal where's the rehearsal going to be Can we reserve it in time? Is it large enough to hold our guests? What kind of food are we going to serve? Who's going to pay for this? Is this within my budget? Oh, my goodness. Who's going to show up? I hope everybody that we've invited come. What kind of beverages should we serve? Is the preacher going to be there? So should we hold back the wine? (laughs) What kind of cake will we have? Who's going to cut the cake? Who's going to serve the cake? Will the cake fall? Is it going to be too hot? I hope the temperature's okay in the room. Is the bride and groom, should I have Adam and Eve cross their arms and feed each other the cake? And should they sip the champagne together? Or should they do it on their own? Would it really be appropriate at the first wedding for cake to be smeared in the, in the bride's face? On and on. And you can think of a thousand more details that I've left out that were probably a part of your wedding or mine or the one that you're currently planning right now. 
So my question to myself was, as I was preparing this, what was God thinking? What did he come up with? If, if this is a chance to make it right, what is the thing that needs to be a part of that to make sure that it's right? And you know, as well as I do, as far as the record that we have, all of those things that I've mentioned were never a part of that first wedding. We've made up all that stuff. It's not all bad. It can be good. But I'm afraid what happens is, and you might would agree with me, that so many people spend more time planning their ceremony than they do preparing to spend the rest of their life with a person they claim is their soulmate. So what did it look like and what was on God's mind? There's one thing. There's one point. I don't have three points this morning. It's just one. And I hope you'll get it when you leave. There's one thing in a couple of verses here. There's one word that God used to me that, that was a clue to say this is absolutely what is needed. If anything else goes away, that's fine. But this has to be a part of the marriage or it's not going to be good. Look in verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper. Read the next word. Say it louder. Suitable. I will make a helper suitable for him. Look in verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no, what's the next word? Suitable helper was found. God's primary objective, the thing that he knew that had to be in place in order for this to be good, was that the mate that he created for Adam had to be someone who was suitable him God did not say as far as we have record of you know what Adam's pretty good-looking guy I need to make sure and it's important that the person that is going to be his suitable helper is someone who is gorgeous Eve has got to be the bomb right he didn't focus on what color eyes that Eve was going to have. He didn't contemplate what color hair or style of hair. Was it going to be straight or was it going to be curly? Did he want her creator as a straight-haired person and then later give her a permanent before the ceremony? And then later put some straightener in it because it rained that day and it was too frizzy. No, I'm just kidding. Do you understand where I'm going with this? God did not pay attention as far as we have an account of, of really trying to think about the physical attributes of Eve. I have no idea what she looked like. I have no idea what Adam looked like. I know you've seen some pictures of what people think he looked like and it's always this buff looking guy right adam could have had a pot belly for all we know i mean i don't know if he did or not who knows what they look like the point is it's irrelevant because they don't talk about it 
And God didn't spend a lot of time saying, if the helper that's going to be suitable for Adam has to be, look like this, weigh this much, on down the line. And God did not go to Adam and say, hey, Adam, I know you're pretty lonely. Look around. I mean, I've done pretty good. Look, aren't those birds awesome? Look at those creatures. Look, look at the stars. Man, didn't I do a good job? Hey, I've got this idea. I'm thinking about getting somebody. Just give me some ideas of what you're looking for. You know, well, you got any measurements in mind? God didn't do that. He didn't do that. He knew what Adam needed. He didn't have to ask. And a lot of times, we spend so much time on all that other stuff. The ceremony, all that stuff, the physical attributes. And when it comes down to it, that had nothing to do with what it meant to be suitable. What does suitable mean? If you look up the word normally and look at how it's used here, it's not used that often in the Bible. But um, it means uh, appropriate. It means just right. Not so-so. Just right. It means comparable. It means help meet. If you read this in the King James, that language is actually used. God created help meet. Not M-E-A-T. For those of you who might be thinking differently, M-E-E-T. To meet together, to fit together, to work together. It means corresponding to. It means someone who is fit for him. They match. They go together. They complement each other. It's a perfect, we use the word sometimes in marriage ceremonies, it's a perfect union. They go together. God was not satisfied with just something that might possibly work. He knew that Adam needed somebody who was a suitable helper and Eve needed somebody who was a suitable helper. They needed to be two people who complemented each other, just like a glove in, a hand in a glove that fit perfectly. It didn't need to be a, this will do, because there's nothing else. Conceivably, now, you know, you may not like me saying this, but this is the way my mind works. The animals and the other creation, they were an option for Adam, right? Because it said God looked around at all he had created, which meant he considered, well, let's see what, let's see what I've done here and see if some of this will work for him. So, you know, that sounds kind of weird to you, I'm sure. And I know we have laws against things like that. And that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it, it was an option. Of all the things that God had created, it was an option. But God looked at that and he said, Yeah, you know what? You know, Man, I have done some awesome stuff. But guess what? There is no suitable helper for him. And he didn't say, Well, you know, the closest thing I've got to a suitable helper is this over here. And I guess that will have to do because after all, man... Six days of creating and resting on the seventh day, I'm going to be tired. All my creative juices are gone. You know, I can't think of anything else to do. 
He didn't say this will do or, or, you know, how about that? He looked around, considered it and said, as good as all of that might be, because remember all the verses in chapter 1 that I've read up until verse 18? All of the stuff that he created, he already said was good. But he looked at it and he said, it's not good enough for Adam. So he decided to create somebody that was a suitable helper. He didn't settle for just what might would possibly work. It had to be exactly the way God intended for it to be so that it would work. So, Eve was suitable for Adam, and Adam was suitable for Eve. That means their life was perfect, and they never had an argument or a problem. Just read over through the next chapter. And God says to Adam, why did you eat of that fruit? And he said, that woman you gave me, (laughs) it's your fault. They had their problem. Being suitable, God creating somebody that he knew was a completer for Adam, a suitable person for Adam, didn't mean that it was going to be perfect and there would never be a problem. Okay, so let's just get that up front. But it was the person that God knew was perfect for Adam. And Adam was perfect for Eve. That made it good. That made it the way that it should be. Okay. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Because the information is fairly simple to arrive at. (laughs) But the application often is difficult. So I want to spend the next few minutes talking to you about, okay, so what? If God created, if it was God's idea for marriage and it was His idea that it be good for us and that His idea primarily was that when marriage, two people married, the main thing is that they are suitable for each other. If that's the big deal, if that's the big point, if that's what you've written down in your notes, if that's what you'll hear when you go home and you're eating supper and, and you're thinking about, what the preacher said this morning, you're going to hear the word suitable. Suitable helper. Suitable helper. You're going to have a dream tonight. And you're going to wake up and you're going to hear a small voice that says, suitable helper, suitable helper. If you have a parrot, teach that to your parrot. Suitable helper, suitable helper. Right? That's the point. I hope you get it. But what do you do with the point? What do we do with it? How do we apply that to our lives? Now, here's some things. And seriously, if you have a worship guide, I want you to take some notes here. If you've got a pen, uh, if you don't, borrow one. There's a couple of greeters in the back, and they might have a bucket, and they could even uh, come down and give you a pen if you wanted one. It would be okay. Um, raise your hand if you need a pen. But look at this. Two things. One, if you're not married, and then two, if you are married. What do we do with this? So, so here's some things to think about. If you are not married, you may be engaged, you may not be engaged. You may be at the age where you're too young to even thinking about marriage specifically, but one day in the back of your mind you're thinking, I may have a, I may have a spouse, I may want to choose a spouse. If you are thinking about something uh, in the idea of that one day you'll be married, this is good stuff for you. Here is the one thing that you need to know and then learn to apply this to your life. You need to choose 
a suitable helper. You thought it was going to be complicated, didn't you? Ha, 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 fooled you. Choose a suitable helper. We make jokes about shotgun weddings, but last that I have ever heard in this country, I don't know anybody who's ever been followed to the altar with a shotgun forcing someone to get married unless it was some kind of weird, illegal kind of something scam going on with the mafia or something, right? Normally, in this country, you choose your spouse, right? Right? Okay. And anybody here, if you're married and you did not choose your spouse, I just have a question for you. How did that happen? We choose. So I'm going to tell you as a person who may be a potential person who's getting married one day, write that down. Put it on your forehead. Write it down on your bathroom mirror. Put that in your Bible. Make it one of your things to think about biblically. And go back to chapter 2 of Genesis and remind yourself of this. You need to choose a suitable helper. Because I'm going to tell you this. It's my opinion. And I think my opinion's worth something. And I'm about the only one who does. Right? It's my opinion. Choosing a suitable helper is the second most important decision that you will ever make in your entire life. First being giving your life to Jesus Christ and accepting Him as your Lord and Savior. Preferably, but it doesn't always happen, and it's okay if it doesn't because God is great at redeeming things. Preferably in that order with you. Because apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ and your understanding of how God views you and who you are, you are highly, highly likely to make a bad choice on who a suitable helper for you would be because you don't have the input of God who created you. So preferably in that order. But don't check out if you've gotten things backwards. Choose a suitable helper. That is the most... Uh, second most important decision that you'll ever make. Above what your career will be, above what college you'll go to, above what kind of house you'll have, it is second above, only second to that of accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because that decision can and will affect every other decision that you make in life. And it is very, very important. You can either reach your potential or be dragged down from ever reaching your potential based on the person you choose as a helper for you. It's that important, okay? Very, very important. So you need to choose that person because it's so very important. If you want to write down a second point under that main point of how do you choose a suitable helper, you can write this down. Don't just settle for anyone. I have seen, and usually it's girls, girls, usually it's these beautiful women who have reached the old age of 26. And they've not just found Mr. Perfect yet, and their biological clock's ticking, and they're feeling the pressure. And all of their high school friends have gotten married. And a third of them already divorced, but they don't throw that in there. 
Don't settle for just anyone. Don't feel the pressure of society telling you that you've got to make that decision. Don't let the pressure of all of everybody in the whole entire world of anybody you know is already married and I'm the only person left on the face of the earth who hasn't got a husband yet. Don't let that pressure force you into making a a bad decision just because somebody happened to be available. God looked at all he created that we have agreed that it was already good and he said this is pretty good but it's not going to cut the mustard for Adam. Not good enough. Not good enough for him. You look around and you may be thinking, well, you know, the pickings are pretty slim. I'm just going to have to settle for whoever will take me because all the good ones are taken. If you're not taken, that's not true. You're a good one and you're still left, right? And, and again, I'm kind of, girls, it kind, of a, it kind of more seems to apply to you than not. I've got to find somebody. just got to find somebody. And then you find somebody and you say, I wish I hadn't found it. I've got to find somebody. He's going to make me so happy. He's going to complete my world. He's going to be Mr. Wonderful and Mr. Perfect. And then the baby comes along and you look at that guy sitting across the room and you think, what has he done to me? Who is this in my house? Right? Mr. Perfect becomes, the baby's more important. <laughs> right? Okay, I can keep on. On and on and on and on. on. And you know. You know how it is because a lot of us have been there, right? But you have got to choose a suitable helper. Don't settle for just anything. Don't let just somebody who's halfway nice, who's fairly attractive, if you think that's really, really important, who might halfway almost believe what you believe spiritually, and and it'll do, it'll do, it won't do. It won't do for very long. And you will be miserable if you compromise. So don't let that happen. Spend more time praying about who your suitable helper will be than you do searching online at match.com. Right? They can do uh, surveys and things, which uh, personality type stuff, which, which I think are good things to do. And they can do all those things, and they can put all your information in the computer, and they can spit somebody out. And, and it, may be, uh, it may be good. But don't spend all of your time putting all of your eggs in that basket that some computer and some guy who designed some questionnaire knows you better than the person who created you, God. Spend more time praying about who that person is than you do all that other stuff that we often do as we're trying to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright. Now, you can't be a hermit and sit in your house all the time and wonder why you never have a date. You got to get out, okay? But you need to be praying about who that person is, and it needs to be more than just throwing up a prayer on the way to the blind date. Oh God, I hope he's not a psycho, right? It's got to be a little more than that. You got to spend some serious time praying about who this person is. And 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 here's the last thing under this idea of choosing choosing somebody specifically. And I think this is important. It goes it goes back to our relationship with God. We uh, you need to. Spend more time understanding how God has put you together. So you are so familiar with yourself that it's easy to spot the person who would complement you. 
Here's what I think happened. Again, just my opinion, but based on what I see. We talk about this all the time. None of us are perfect. All of us are messed up in different ways. God, God can do wonders with that. But oftentimes what happens in our own lives is if we know we have faults, if we know we have problems and areas in our life that, that need to be dealt with, things that we've pushed back, things that have happened to us when we're children and we don't want to deal with it or, or relationships or whatever, we choose not to deal with that stuff. And as long as we don't deal with it, it skews our view of who we are in God. And so if you are looking for a spouse with a skewed view of who you are, you are highly likely to pick the wrong person because the person that you might be looking for to meet the needs you think you have is not the person because you haven't let God deal with that stuff and let you really see who you are. Does that make sense? You've got to do it from the perspective of, I am not selfishly, I'm going to mention that in just a minute, not selfishly, but you have got to know, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? What are your quirky little things? Where are the areas that you're passionate about? How do you feel about God? What, what's important to you when it comes to worship? What's important to you when it comes to ideas of evangelism and serving and, and dealing with other people and helping other people and serving other people? What are the things that God has placed deep within you? You have got to get in tune with those things because if you don't, you will choose somebody who does not compliment you and they will drag you down. If you don't know what those things are, you'll be, you'll be looking for things like blonde hair, blue eyes, waist size. Does he have abs or not? Six-pack, eight-pack, 12-pack. I've got it all. <laughs> Told my wife, it's here, baby, it's here. Mine's just in the cooler. You just can't see it? Don't want to show it to everybody, right? All that stuff, that means nothing, right? If you don't know who you really are, if you don't know what makes you tick, if you don't know the passion that God has given you, if you don't know why you're here on this earth, if you don't have a sense of knowing who you are, you will not find a person that compliments you because you don't know who you are to begin with. You have got to understand that. There are ways that you can do that at, by praying and reading Scripture. And there's some other little inventory type things that can help guide you in understanding how maybe God has tweaked you and, and put you together. If you don't know that, I urge you to get busy, especially as a person who's going to be looking for a spouse at some time. So that's important. We've got to do that. I think you've got to do that so that you will be able to identify this suitable helper that God has for you, okay? Next thing and last thing, application, all right? That was for those of you who are going to be looking for a spouse at some time. Some of that applies if you already have a spouse. I'll mention that in just a minute. But... For those of us who are married, here's, here's the important thing. Be a suitable helper. Be a suitable helper. What do you mean by that? How can I just decide I'm going to be a suitable helper? Well, maybe this will help you understand what I'm talking about. Live out your marriage in a way that complements and completes each other. The way you treat your spouse. The view you have of your spouse. I cringe every time, especially in public, when I hear spouses cracking on their spouse. Pointing out the faults in front of everybody as if they're perfect. 
Be a suitable helper. It's amazing today in marriages, the selfishness that I see. Pure and simple selfishness. God created marriage because he said it's not good for Adam to be alone. And he did not create Eve so that Eve could stroke Adam's ego. Guys, tune in. If you're wanting Miss Wonderful to tell you how wonderful you are 24-7 and the first time she doesn't, you're going to go try and find somebody who does. You need to grow up. This isn't high school, elementary school anymore. You're a grown adult. Grow up. God created you to complement each other, not for one to serve the other and vice versa only. It doesn't go just one way. You can't have a perfect fit by having just one piece. You've got to have two that go together. A glove is useless unless there's a hand to put in it. They complement each other. Marriage is that way. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need somebody to complement you. And in some of the marriages that I see displayed, one of the spouses think that they're perfect because the other one's always in the wrong. If you think you're perfect, you've got a bigger problem than anything that we could talk about when it comes to marriage, right? You're not. I'm not. Guess what? Your spouse is not. Ladies, Mr. Wonderful is not always Mr. Wonderful. Right? He's just human. All right? Quit reading all that trashy novel stuff that makes you think that romance is just always him busting through the door, giving you flowers and telling you all these words and doing all this stuff. And all. That's a part of it. And that's, guys, we should be doing those things. But it's not that 24-7. And the first time it's not, you're off to read another book or find somebody who's going to treat you differently. Because I just don't feel loved. Right? Now, I'm not making light of that, okay? Understand me. And, and this is what I'm saying. We need to love our spouses. It goes both ways. We need to treat them with dignity and respect that they deserve. This is a person that God has given you for goodness sakes, if you believe that. By not treating your spouse with love and dignity would be like somebody giving you a gift and you spitting in their face and throwing it back to them. Shelly and I have this thing, and we're not perfect, are we, hon? Especially the one standing here. But we go back and forth. Y'all got some of your little goo-goo, silly little lovey bird type languages that you use with your spouse. I won't tell them all what we say. You know, but we go back and forth. Who do you love? How much do you love me? That kind of stuff. And we've twisted that a thousand different ways. But one of the things is we, we'll say, you know, why do you love me? Why do you love me? And my, my response is, and her response is this too at times, because God gave you to me. I mean, when it all comes down to it, that's probably that the best thing I can think of. It's because truth be known, I don't like the way she acts sometimes. She don't like the way that I act sometimes. I don't always respond in the most appropriate way. I'm not perfect as a pastor. You, you guys have the benefit of seeing almost our best side when we stand up. You don't live with us. We're just humans. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I don't always treat her the way I should. It, it happens like that. But when it comes down to it, the idea, my love for her is because I know without a shadow of a doubt, she's my suitable helper. 
You can never convince me otherwise. And so, guys, uh, let me talk to you for just a second. If you would rather, I'm not saying that these things are bad, but if this is your preference, if you have a choice and constantly, all of the time, your choice, if you have a choice between spending time with the person that God has given you as the person who can complete your life versus playing the video game for eight hours and ignoring her. If you have a choice and you choose constantly instead of spending time with your spouse, the person that God has given to you, but going and sitting in the deer woods every time instead, that hurts because I like to deer hunt. Every time, you're consistent. Hey, let me see, let me think about it. Would I rather be with the person that completes me enhances my life is god's gift to me or would i spend time on the internet looking at sites and places and things that i know i have no business being on women if you would rather constantly make the choice if you had the choice and you chose this choice of spending time with the man that god has given you to be your completer your suitable helper versus Spending the day shopping and not seeing him until you got home late at night and barely saying hey before you went to bed. If that's your choice, you have problems in your marriage. How can you think that and view your spouse as a God-given gift and want to kick it to the side and not deal with it? Right? Now, I'm saying these words on purpose. Crafted especially... For you and me, hoping that by the time you get home, if you are guilty, your feet will hurt and your toes will be sore and your heart will be turned toward making a difference in your marriage. Because it's not the way that God created it if that's the way we live. Here's what I think happens. God created marriage so that it can be a compliment, right? A suitable helper which means that we complete each other. Now, I don't look to Shelly to make me happy because if I do, she's going to let me down. God makes me happy. God is ultimately the person that I look to for everything, and Shelly is right next in line. That's the way it should be. And what happens in marriages, I know what happens in marriages is we have an innate sense of knowing that's the way it should be, we should live a life that feels complete and have purpose. And what happens is we leave out God and then we also leave out the spouse that he's given us that is supposed to help with that. And instead, we still feel empty. So we go all of these other places and do all of these other things and involve in all these other activities and all of these kinds of sports things and all this other kind of stuff because that's what makes us feel complete. It is a need that we have within us to feel completed. And we choose to counterfeit it with stuff instead of letting it be filled with the way that God intended it for it to be filled. And I will tell you that if you think that you're going to feel completed and whole and all of those things apart from God, you are on an endless search. It'll never happen. If you think that you're going to feel happy 
in your marriage and all of that kind of stuff and that you have a great relationship and you can't wait to spend time with your spouse and you love being around them and they make you happy and you want to hold their hand and you want to talk to them and you want to tell them about your day and you just can't get enough of them and you want to be around them. If you think that's going to happen without viewing them as your gift from God and treating them as if that's the way it is and put, quit putting all that other stuff in her place, guys, and women, quit putting all that other stuff in his place. You won't ever find the marriage. You can change spouses. It doesn't matter. Common denominator is you because everywhere you go, there you are. Right? Have you ever been somewhere and not found you? Try that next time you go somewhere. It's not possible. All right? Some of you are scowling at me. Cliff tells jokes. Cliff tells stories and has great teaching but makes it a little easier for us because he know he's a better teacher than donnie so he just don't come out and say it I, that's just the way i am and i want to tell you marriage problems and stuff are rampant here and in this world that's got to change all right so here's the thing you're not married or you're married maybe if you're married you're saying this because i don't want you to get the wrong idea Been there and done that, Donnie. What if I've messed up? I've done all the stupid things that you said. I chose a spouse based on all the wrong reasons. It didn't work out. I'm divorced. Maybe remarried or maybe not. Or maybe married again and maybe you've been married twice. Maybe you've been married three times. Is there any hope for me? Have I, have I used up my suitable helpers? Are there any more for me? Is that like I've only got one and since that one's gone, it'll, I'll never be able for it to work the way God intended for it to be, if you're asking that question. Here's my answer. God is a master at making crooked paths straight and redeeming sin. It's not going to take away the consequences that you've had to pay for those actions. It's probably not going to take away the hurt and the pain that you've experienced because of those bad choices and are continuing to experience because of those choices. But God is a master at making crooked paths straight and redeeming sin. And I would say to you, if that's where you are, it's not too late. God hasn't forgotten about you. But don't make continue to keep making the same mistakes learn why is it that you've already had two wives why is it that you've been married three times why is it that you've been married once and now you're with somebody else but you're feeling those same feelings that you had with the first spouse and now you're thinking that this one's going to end too you are the common denominator find out what's going on find out what's making you tick Find out how God put you together. Give that marriage to God. Confess your sin and get on with it and let that marriage be the way that He intended for it to be. Quit blaming. Quit pointing fingers. Quit thinking it's somebody else's fault. Get on with it. And if you are in a situation where you say, I would like to, but the current spouse I have is not interested, you get on with it. And pray that their heart and their mind will be changed. But don't let that hinder you from being the person that God wants you to be. God can redeem that marriage. It's important, guys. I don't know exactly what Cliff is going to be talking about the next three weeks, but I can guarantee you 
you may agree or may not agree, but when I look around in this world, one of the main things I see among Christian people and non-Christian people is there is an attack on marriage and the family. And you've got friends and family and people who need to hear these next messages so we can get in God's what God's doing and learn to have our marriage protected by Him so that things can go the way that they need to. This is how I want to challenge you. Two ways as, we, as I finish up. If you would, just, just close your eyes. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything. I just want you to close your eyes so you can kind of tune out. You've been listening to me talk and it feels like it's a little bit warm where I'm standing and maybe you're getting comfortable and you're thinking about lunch and you're getting sleepy. But here's what I want you to do. Tune in. Tune in to God. I'm going to talk, but just... If you're a single person and you're thinking about getting married, maybe you're single and you've already been married, I I would ask you to make this commitment to God today. God, this day I commit to you that I will settle for no one less than your suitable helper for me. Whatever that takes, whatever that looks like, whoever that is, I want that person in my life because you know That is what I need. You might make that commitment today. If you're married, would you make this commitment? God, I know I'm not perfect. And I want you to forgive me for the way that I sin against you. Forgive me for the way that I treat my spouse when it's disrespectful hurting not the way that you would have me treat your gift. This day, Lord, as a personal decision, I make a commitment to be the suitable helper. It's not dependent on how my spouse responds. It's not dependent on what other people say. It's dependent on my commitment to you to live out a marriage the way you designed it to be. God, I thank you for this day. And I pray, Lord, that you help us to understand how very important that concept is of marriage. It's not something we should take lightly. You didn't just throw it together on a whim. You thought about it purposefully. You arranged it. You designed it. You created it. And you wanted it to be something that would give us joy and happiness and make us complete. Thank you, God, that you love us enough to think about us in that way. You didn't have to do that. Thank you. Thank you that you care not only about Adam and Eve, but that today you care about us. You care about our relationships. God, I pray for every person here that is married. That you help us to tune in to your purpose for marriage. It's not about us. It's not about making me feel good. It's not about doing the things I want to do in life. It's working together with the person that you've given me to make this a suitable relationship. 
Lord, when it's suitable and when it's good, it glorifies you. That's missing in this world. Help us to be married people that other people can look at and say, wow, God is amazing to be able to bring those two together. Help us to have a love for our spouse that goes beyond anything other than our love for you. We can't do that on our own. We need your help. Lord, we're willing for you to help us. We want it to be the best that it can be. Thank you for that. And thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen.